Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from 10, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty Nakian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Rhonda Carpenter from The Mark of a Druid and PatioRacket.com. You're listening to episode 11 of Down from 10, and this is the story so far. The third day of the Xanadu event is winding down. Three days in the heart of the mountains left everyone around the fire. Kevin painting, Adele snapping photos, and Jeremiah modeling with the others. It's been a long day of adventures of all kinds, but all days do end. As night wraps itself around the manor, the careful listeners can hear whispers in the darkness. Chapter 10, E-8, Night. The hall wasn't quite silent. Although the lamps weren't lit, the light streaming from under Jeremiah's door was just enough to see by. The same gap that let the glow through also leaked sounds that, perhaps, Jeremiah would rather they didn't leak, such as the sound of Sarah's voice growling, which Carol could hear from the top of the stairs. Jeremiah, give it up! I could come over to your place. The door opened and Sarah, her kimono hanging open, bobbed out of it like an apple that had been held too long underwater. Her eyes narrowed and she looked back over her shoulder. Carol ducked behind the corner. Oh, so you'll wear one in there, but not in here? It wasn't a question so much as a sneer. Katie didn't complain. He said it with all the plaintive cajoling of a jilted eight-year-old. You didn't try to go bareback on her. Yeah, but come on, you know me. I do. And all the chorus line boys you fuck on weekends. And they all say you snore like a foghorn, too. I don't snore. Oh, really? Ask Katie. You all just talk about everything, don't you? Now he seemed to think it was his turn to sneer. Welcome to the real world. Fine. Jesus. Carol heard the sound of covers ruffling, as if Jeremiah had turned his back on Sarah and punched the pillow. Sarah turned her face back out into the hallway. Whatever. She stepped out of the doorway and slammed it behind her, then gathered her kimono together in front of her as she walked to her room and slipped inside. Carol stepped out from behind the corner on the landing and sighed heavily. There was a long way to go if they were all going to pull together and make this little adventure anything other than a disaster. The few steps to Amos's slightly ajar door rolled by under her feet. He'd been somber again at dinner. Whatever was eating at him seemed to come in waves and for no reason she could pin down. Through the crack, she saw him standing just in his trousers, his right hand behind his neck as if he were rubbing a knot out. His whole body seemed to cave in at the middle, and all his lines pushing her eyes down to a little photo frame on his bedside table. She couldn't see the photo from where she was, but whatever it contained seemed to rack him and slice him every time he looked at it. 
She wanted to go in and touch him. His body looked like a desert waiting for rain. But she held back for a moment. There was something about the way he stood, like he was balancing on the edge of a cliff. It told her to wait until he'd decided which way to fall. Amos dropped his hand and shook his head, his left hand coming up to wipe his eyes. He paced back and forth angrily for a moment, then untied his drawstring and stepped out of his sweats. He looked like Odysseus might have looked, standing naked on the shore of Circe's island, waiting for some favor of the gods to let him go home. He lay down on his bed and closed his eyes as if he wanted to sleep, but he didn't last more than three seconds there. He sat up and grabbed the gator skin journal he'd been scribbling in since he arrived. He pulled a shirt on and stepped back into his sweats, then reached for a pen from his bedside table. Carol ducked back out of the way before he opened the door, but he didn't even glance in her direction. He got half a step down the hall when he seemed to remember something and halted mid-stride. He turned back to the door and pulled it closed quietly, then leaned his head against it for a second. Carol stepped up behind him and slipped her arms around his waist. He shivered at the touch. Can't sleep. Amos shook his head. No. Are you okay? She held him loosely, touching him without wanting to make him feel trapped. He gave a sharp nod. I'll be... No, not really. She leaned back, holding onto his shirt and pulling him gently off the door. Need some company. She let go and ran her right hand around his back, over his shoulder and down his arm, pulling gently towards her room. I'd rather be alone. And yet, he followed her lead, however haltingly. She caught his eyes and held them, making sure he knew she wasn't being playful. That's not what I asked. Yeah. He nodded reluctantly. I probably do. She led him down the long hall and into her room at the end of it. She closed the door behind them. He slipped beneath the covers without undressing. She joined him in manner and dress and spooned behind him. She ran her fingers over the seams in his skull, hoping to relax him enough to get him talking. What's keeping you up? It's just a story. I'll figure it out. I've never had writer's block like this. Not all of us are so gifted. Amos played at being a curmudgeon, but never had Carol heard him sound so genuinely bitter. She reached down and found the hem of his shirt with her fingers. She pulled it up, peeling it off him. With her toes, she reached up to the waistband of his sweats and pushed them down over his hips and legs and off. He didn't resist. He lay still like he was on an autopsy table. She dug her fingers into the knotted muscles on his back, pushing and gripping and tracing the fibers of his distress. This feels like more sales envy. Amos convulsed, but before Carol could register her own panic that he was about to vomit, his gagging gave way to a spasm of genuine, clear, unambiguous laughter. After he caught his breath again, he pushed back against her hands. Just keep doing that. I'll be fine. She continued for another moment. As he started to relax, she spoke softly over his shoulder. You don't have to be alone, you know. You can talk to me. 
everyone's alone. You sounded like you believed in human racial solidarity earlier tonight. Believing in it doesn't make it true. But I can dream. If I can ever get to sleep. You are not alone. She was as firm as she could be without making her voice hard. Not tonight. She lightened her touch, moving away from the muscles to the delicious nerve endings in his skin. She flitted her fingers over the sensitive spots she knew well, raising goose flesh on his back by trailing her fingers down his ribs and over his hips, then changing so that she scratched lightly up his thighs, over his stomach, up to his nipples and neck. He purred and shuddered under her ministrations. Your home, love. No loss, no death, nothing to worry about. Without breaking contact with him, she opened her robe and slipped out of it one arm at a time, then pressed her body up against his from toes to chin. Her hands ran up and down his front, trailing over his chest, dancing in his navel, lightly stroking his cock. I wish I could sleep. Oh, God, that's nice. Make love to me. Hold me until you drift off. Stay here. Amos turned to face her. He took her face in his hands and met her eyes. There was a strange, almost panicked intensity there, an insistence that his next few words would be the most important he ever spoke to her. I don't know how long I'll be around, Carol. It was all he said. Even though the look in his eyes made her throat clamp shut with worry, she knew she couldn't pry now. He was all raw nerves. There would be time for talking it out later. She closed her eyes and nuzzled against his hand. Nobody does. You know that. She opened her eyes and met his again. I love you. He stared into her for a long moment. Then the words fell from his mouth like water from a forgotten tap. I love you too. He kissed her. She latched onto him with her mouth, not bringing her hands up to hold him, just lingering on his lips, dancing with his tongue, nibbling out the words of welcome he so desperately needed, letting herself want him as much as she did. Of everyone who had come, he was the one she'd wanted here most, and he was the one she'd been least certain would show up. Something was broken in the heart of Amos Maple, but whatever that wound was, it hadn't kept him from her bed. The kiss went on, growing tighter and more desperate. When she finally broke for breath, her lips felt bruised. His eyes were open. His walls were down. She saw the deep sorrow, the sense of utter isolation that she'd only sensed in him before. She saw it as plainly as the snow outside the windows. Touch me. She took his left hand from the side of her face and pressed it to her vulva. Use your fingers. Use them here. He did. He knew just how it worked. He remembered where all her buttons were. He slid his fingers in little circles around her clit. With his other hand, he stroked her body, pinching and tweaking here and there so that all his touches blended together like the spices in a stew. 
She felt his breath moving over her skin, a hot wind that chilled her and made her pucker everywhere it touched. While his thumb toyed with her nub, his other fingers pressed teasingly at the opening below it until her pussy seemed to reach out and grab one, yanking it inside to grind against her G-spot like a sculptor's polishing brush. She was sweating before he even kissed her again, but when he did, she let herself go. She shifted her weight and threw a leg over him. She squeezed her muscles and pushed his hand out of her. There would be plenty of time for that later. Right now, she wanted his penis inside her. She wanted to be that close to him again, to swallow him up and welcome him home. It was the reunion on which she was overdue. She cocked her hips forward and, with a couple of false starts and a little wriggling, managed to take him in without using her hands. She rocked against him, losing herself in the sound of his breath in her ear, their two voices muttering an inchoate song together as they moved. When Amos finally did fall asleep, Carol wasn't far behind. Nestled into the crook of his arm, she felt no tension in him anymore. She drifted off into her own stories on the rhythm of his breathing, her thoughts lost with his in the endless possibilities out among the stars. So far as they knew, the rest of the house was silent. Her bedside clock displayed a solid, unblinking 2.59. Sarah slept pleasantly, her face a mask of relaxation without a hint of anxiety or nightmare written on it. Asleep. She couldn't hear anything moving in her room, but the noises were so subtle, she'd probably have missed them if she'd been fully awake. After a moment, the quality of her dreams seemed to change. Her face began to tighten and contort in disgust, then concern, then fear. She tossed from one side to the other and kicked her legs once or twice as if trying to throw off an unpleasant specter floating just above the bed. She started talking in her sleep, but anyone who might have stood by would have heard only gibberish, faint sounds of violation and concern. Something moved over the sheets, visible only by the trailing disturbances it made in them, like the temporary imprint of fingers dragged through the surface of still water. Sarah's incoherent cries became more consistent. She gasped, sounds of panic tearing themselves from her throat. Her hands clawed madly at her crotch, scratching and yanking and tearing at the bedsheets. The invisible fingers traced their way up her arm to her neck, running through the hair behind her ear like a malicious wind. Her body convulsed, twice. She shuddered and stiffened as if being electrified. She screamed over and over with an orgasm that sounded like it was being extracted under torture rather than given freely. The screams rang the room, piercing her ears and waking her up just in time for the crippling aftershocks. She lay on her back, looking straight up at the ceiling, her eyes fixed and wide, tears streaming out of them like she'd been abandoned in a roadside ditch. She couldn't hear or feel anything. She couldn't even breathe. She felt like a heavy weight was pressing on her chest. She pushed against it with everything she had, but she couldn't move. Soon, 
She knew her brain would shut down. She didn't have any oxygen. She'd go crazy. She'd see bright lights. She'd think she was flying. Then it would all go dark, and she wouldn't remember anything more. Just as the room started to grow bright around her, somehow her body remembered what it meant to breathe. She sucked in the two lungs full of the glorious, painful, biting cold. She cried out in joy as it made the insides of her toes itch with its burning. At the same time, she suddenly won free of the terrible weight. She jerked up and away from her bed all at once and pulled herself into a seated fetal position. Her whole body felt raw. Pain burned through every synapse like she was the charred remains of a brush fire. Her stomach and head and cunt throbbed like they'd been beaten. Her thighs itched. Her flesh ached with the resonance of the dream. The terrible dream, like the dreams she'd had in grade school. The awful visions of them. Sarah tucked her face between her knees and sobbed. She didn't care that it would give her a migraine. She didn't even know what she wanted. She only knew that something that hadn't hurt in more than a decade suddenly hurt again. And she wanted it to go away. At first, she didn't see the small movements under her covers as something the size of a fist seemed to pull away from her and fall to the floor at the foot of her bed without a sound. Deep in the belly of a tall ship, surrounded by sacks of sugar, precious little in the way of sound may reach a stowaway's ear, Save for the groaning of the great timber hull against the battering and wrenching motion of the waves. The low creaking, like the neck of a titan, is a sound that every sailor once learned to accept. It was the harbinger of danger and possibly death, but it was the price for traveling the high seas covertly. The house groaned with the voice of a tall ship. Somewhere out there, something was shifting and the house was pushing back, trying to compensate with all its might. The deep, gurgling sounds echoed like the dying breath of a great beast. The mantel clock read exactly three in the morning, and the room felt like something pulled through a looking glass. Dust lay thick on the table, colorless in the dim light of the stove hood filtering through from the kitchen. A pair of legs, swaddled unrecognizably in a black druidic robe, approached from the direction of the fireplace. The owner of the legs stopped by the table and bent, sweeping a feather duster lightly through the thick mat of forgetfulness and wiping it away like an unwelcome memory. When the table was clean, the legs stepped away, moving on to whatever else might occupy them in the depths of the dark, cold night. You've been listening to episode 11 of Down From 10, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, 
Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty McKeon and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Hi, this is Chooch. And this is Viv. From End of the Blender. And the COH Podcast. And you're listening to Down From 10. By J. Daniel Sawyer. Something moves in the night. And if Sarah didn't notice it at first, what happened that we didn't see? What the hell is going on here? And why is our mysterious figure back? What is it doing? This is episode 11. Next week will represent the halfway mark, more or less, as we've got 25 episodes. And... As you can see, we are no longer teetering on the edge of the abyss, wondering whether we're going to fall in. The plunge has started. And from here on in, things get... complicated. How far down will the rabbit hole go? You're going to find out. And if you're lucky, you might get to hear more kick-ass music by Danny Shade in the forthcoming episodes. Some community news, Hugo winner Spider Robinson, whose podcast Spider on the Web is filled with good music and better stories, is having a bit of a rough time of it right now. His wife Jeannie has cancer, and it's a kind of cancer that Canada's healthcare system isn't inclined to help her battle anymore. They've put out a call to others in the community for help. I'm posting the details on my blog at jdsawyer.net, straight from the arachnid's mouth, so to speak. If you have a chance, please bump by and read about what's going on, and consider whether or not you have the wherewithal to help out someone who has provoked and entertained thousands of people over the last several decades. As for me, I'll be at World Fantasy Con this year to meet people, implement a nefarious plan to advance my publishing career, and to attend the launch party for Gail Carriger's new steampunk fantasy novel, Solus. It's hysterical, it's very clever, and it's one of those rare books that breaks out of all of its genres and will appeal to just about everybody. Solus has been spotted in the wild, even though it's not officially released yet, so drop by your local bookseller. You might get lucky and pick up a copy that's leaked early. Totally worth it. You'll laugh yourself silly. And, of course, you can hear the first chapter of Solus by checking this podcast feed. Artistic Whispers called on some old friends to put together a sample radio drama to give you a flavor for Gale's world. If you haven't read my review of Solus, it's called Etiquette by the Full Moon and is available on my blog at www.jdsawyer.net. Orders are coming in for the predestination poster. Once we have 20, we'll place the print order and start shipping them out. 
Pre-orders get signed and numbered posters, so don't delay. We're nearly halfway there. You can find order information on all three blogs and under the swag tab at www.jdsawyer.net. Remember that you can leave questions, comments, criticisms, and whatever else you like at feedback at jdsawyer.net or on the blog at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net. You can call and leave a voicemail at area code 206-350-5739. And of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends, post a review on iTunes, and blog about us. Also remember that you can drop a couple of bucks in the tip jar at jdsawyer.net and on the Down From 10 blog at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net. A portion of the proceeds also go to our composer extraordinaire Danny Shade, who really showed us some of his chops in this episode. This weekend, will morning save the artists from the shadows, or do the shadows have a few punches yet to deal out before they scurry back into their hidey hole? What will happen if the food runs out? And what is it that Amos is so preoccupied with anyway? Find out next week. And until then, remember, you can make the whole world end if you just count down from 10.